Hey friends in podcast world, this is Dr. Rob. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Biblical Genetics. I'm here in the mountains in North Georgia. It's a muggy, close, humid day. Uh, came up to uh, one of my favorite little trails near Helen. I'm going to uh, take my daughter tubing and to a German restaurant afterwards. So we're having a good day, but this is a time to record. I've having a lot of fun in biblical genetics. I've actually uh, riled up some skeptics. And so I had my last episode had a rejoinder video put up on YouTube uh, right after the same guy did an article or a video called uh, basically, you know, Rob Carter's wrong about everything. He puts this thing up claiming that I got all the stuff about the waiting time problem wrong. I don't want to get into a tit for tat uh, with some skeptic. That's not my style. I can't ignore the person entirely. And so what I did was I wrote an article for creation.com that rebutted his hour and 20 minute long video that claims that my three minute spot on, in the movie is Genesis history is wrong. Um, and then I'm gonna add a little thing about this other, other video that they just posted. I, I don't know, this is not, not my thing, man. In this episode, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to introduce you to some concepts that some people, many people have never even considered. And that is that God on purpose made species so they could change. I have an article that, that is coming out on creation.com this week. You can find that. Um, there'll be in the show notes also, but just go to creation.com, type in Carter species change. I bet it'll come right up. That's there for you. I want to encourage you that our intelligent, brilliant, genius, engineering-minded creator God made things so that they could change and sometimes change radically. Now, not to the point where whales are on Noah's Ark, but to the point where within created kind diversity is really easy to account for in the biblical model. So here you go. Species change part one. When you find yourself in a forest setting, you get this sense that things are old, that they're ancient, it's almost primeval. You get this thought that things have always been like this and nothing has ever changed. And you're probably wrong. In fact, the forest that I'm standing in here in the Appalachian Mountains on the east coast of North America, well, it's not the same as it used to be. When Native Americans arrived here, they completely changed this entire environment. They would routinely burn off the ground. Every year, basically, they'd flame all the underbrush. And so there's all these open canopies. Unlike here, there's tons of underbrush. And then when the Europeans started arriving, diseases decimated the native population and their numbers plummeted and the forest changed. And then when the Europeans started pushing inland, here I'm several hundred miles from the coast in this location, by the time they got here, it was a couple of hundred years after the Native American population had gone down, the forest had changed again. Very few things in this world stay the same. And I want to use that as a lead into my main topic, and that is God created things to change on purpose. You might have heard that people used to believe that species didn't change or the fixity of species was an idea really common in the 1700s, 1800s and before that. Charles Darwin argued directly against that. But one of his main influencers, a lawyer turned geologist named Charles Lyell, he argued that species don't change. Where did he get that idea from? Probably from Aristotle. Lyell also argued for an idea that was very common in the day called centers of creation in that different groups of animals were created for the environment in which they lived. So when Darwin got to some place like the Galapagos Islands, he saw all these things that were sort of familiar. 
the same families, the same genera, but the species were different. And he had in his mind at this time, because he wasn't an evolutionist yet, Lyell's centers of creation idea. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is that a biblical concept? Did God create all things as they are today? Did, did God create things in the place where they are now? The answer is absolutely not. Well, first of all, we know from the flood account that all the land animals spread out from Ararat. They certainly weren't created in place. But second of all, we have an example in the Bible itself of something changing very rapidly. And I'll point you to a video I did a couple episodes ago here on Biblical Genetics called Jacob's Livestock Breeding Experiment. We saw a dramatic change in a species in the pages of Genesis. The phenotype is the way an organism looks or behaves. And Jacob performed a massive phenotypic change, an important one too. You think how important coat color is to a polar bear or coat color is to a brown bear. You wouldn't want to have a white bear in a forest or a brown bear on the ice. These are adaptive changes and we saw it happen like that in scripture. Okay, so we just established that God created things with the capacity to change. How much change is possible? That's the question. How much change can happen in God's created organisms? Well, think of horses. Tall horses, short horses, shaggy horses, uh, short-haired horses. We have brown horses and black horses and pintos and palominos and all these different types of horses. And consider the horses in the fossil record, the horses alive today. We see a lot of diversity just within horses. In essence, God created a, um, a tolerance code in the blueprints for the original horse. And he said, I'm going to create this horse and it's going to be able to be modified and change in its size and its coloration to some limit. If you push it beyond that, it's going to die. But there is some degree of morphological adaptability built into that original horse. That is a very creationist idea. Now, interestingly, that takes all the evidence for evolution and puts it on the creation side. At least it takes all the evidence that Charles Darwin was using himself and puts it on the creation side because the Bible does not say that God created all things exactly as they are today. So let me tell you several different things that God could have put into that creation in order to allow it to change over time. First of all, created diversity. God could have put heterozygosity into the genomes of those original kinds. So you have a whole bunch of different chromosomes and there's some gene in that chromosome. Some organisms have an A, some has a T, some have an A and a T, some have two T's, some have two A's. That's diversity built into those original kinds. Now, as babies are being born, you have generations after generation after generation, it is quite likely that you're going to have an offspring that has a bunch of recessive traits. And it's going to look a lot different than the originals. You could have brand new phenotypes popping out in the middle of a creation sort of a context. He didn't have to create white bears and brown bears and black bears. He could have just created black bears and all the other colors could naturally arise from the diversity God put into that creation. A second thing that God could have done is put a lot of latent information into the genomes of his creation. There are these things called retrotransposons or jumping genes. And a lot of retrotransposons have a gene promoter in them. And so if they're stuck in one place in DNA, they turn on a gene. If they move, the gene gets turned off. So as jumping genes are popping out and popping into the genomes in different places, they can literally turn things on and turn things off. This is not something that God had to program initially. It's something he could have programmed and allowed to happen over 
time. A third mechanism that allows change to develop over time is something we know that God put into creation. This is recombination. In sexually reproducing organisms, um, you have a scrambling of DNA every generation. And if you have two genes that are next to each other in the genome, they don't recombine very often. So imagine that he created in the dog kind uh, one chromosome that has two genes, one codes for height and one codes for muscularity, and they're right next to each other. And on one chromosome, he creates tall and muscular. And on the other chromosome, he creates short and skinny. Well, as those gene pairs are being passed on, you're, the, the offspring are either going to have one or two copies of the tall and muscular gene at the same time, so you might get a mastiff. Other ones are going to have two copies of the short and skinny gene, so you might get chihuahuas. I'm making this up, of course. This is not how genetics works. It's just an example. But you're never going to get a tall, skinny dog, and you're never going to get a short, muscular dog unless recombination happens between those genes. And if that happens, the genes switch places, and now you can get a tall, skinny dog like a greyhound or a short, muscular dog like a bulldog. Those features did not exist in the originals in this example. They developed over time through recombination. So we can get new diversity appearing because God initially programmed it, but he didn't have to directly program it. He put it in a place that could recombine and come up with new combinations of information. A fourth thing to consider is something that geneticists are calling a pangenome. That is, all of the genes within a species. Consider E. coli, the simple bacterium. It's got 4,288 genes, only a dozen. If you look at all the E. coli in the world and do a massive gene survey, there's about 5,800 genes we find in E. coli. The classic laboratory strain has less genes than we can find in all other places. And so we find that maybe in one environment, there's another species of bacteria that's producing a chemical that E. coli needs to live. Well, if E. coli has those genes, what happens if those genes are accidentally deleted? It's good for the bacteria. It can get that product from the environment, and it doesn't have to maintain that section of DNA. So the pangenome concept allows us to think that God created a lot of different genetics in the created kinds. He didn't just create two E. coli. He didn't have to just create two dog-like things. We know he created two people, but he doesn't say that about any other species. So he could create a lot of different dog-like things and put a lot of different genetics in them. And then over time we have heterozygosity through just shuffling genes, we have recombination, we have jumping genes, we have all these ideas that come into play that allow species to change over time. So just like if you walked into this forest and you saw it the way it is now, you might miss the fact that there's been radical changes in this environment over the last several centuries. Same thing for Darwin. He was looking at farm animals. He was looking at small-scale changes in a very narrow window of time. And he extrapolated into the past, saying, I see no limit to the amount of change. But wait a minute. All the examples that he was using were creationist examples. Things that we happily adapt and happily bring into our model of where things came from. Before I go, I'm going to bring up one more concept for you. This is a big phrase. This comes from the writings of a creationist geneticist named Pierre Turborg. His articles over the years have blessed me incredibly. I can't tell you all the different things I've learned. But in one series of articles that he did called The Design of Life, he talked about pluripotent baronomes. Okay, let me pull apart these words so I can explain this. Pluripotent. 
a couple of episodes ago in my four-part series on the use of fetal cells in medicine and technology, I talked about some Australian scientists who had taken a skin cell and converted it into something that looked very much like a human embryo. Now, that would be a totipotent, a cell that can talk, turn into an entire organism be totipotent. But pluripotent is, let's say you take a skin cell and turn it into a liver or a spleen or a knee bone or something like that. That would be pluripotent, a cell that can turn into a lot of other things. So a pluripotent baronome. Okay, bara is a Hebrew word for create, as in the created kinds, the baramins. But gnome, that sounds like genome. See, biologists have a made-up word, ohm. We, we use that to say all the things in a collection. So all the genes in the genome, all the proteins are in the proteome, all the interactions are in the interactome. The baronome is all of the DNA that God put into one created kind. And a pluripotent baronome is a system that God initially created to allow for adaptability. Lots of adaptability. Lots and lots and lots of adaptability because God is smart. God did this on purpose. He put it into creation in the first place. It didn't surprise him that things changed. He did it on purpose. He engineered it to change. Now, how much change is allowed? I'm going to deal with that in my next episode. How do mutations come into play here? I'm going to deal with that in my next episode also. Stay tuned. There's a lot more coming on these very interesting topics in biblical genetics. Before I go, I want to thank my sponsors on buymeacoffee.com. Several anonymous people have donated this month. In fact, three of them, I believe, but also Stephanie S., George S., Cowboy Bob. It's hard to hide behind a name like that. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Stephen F. and Brian M., you guys are helping me out tremendously. I really appreciate it. Over on Patreon, my top tier levels, Dave H., Adam B., M. Matsky, and Rob S. Guys, I would not be here without you. Thank you. But on the second level, Mark K, brand new subscriber, Mike from Australia. Thank you, sir. Daniel P and James R. Uh, Jeff VD, you're there. Also in my lower tier, but still not forgotten, Jonathan P and Ted H. My friends, genetics is a lot of fun. Genetics is amazing. God is amazing. Let's study him more and find out what he did because as we're studying what God created and how he created it, we're actually looking into the very mind of God himself. Thank you.